0: Let us turn to our brand new study. This is an exciting time for us as we dive into the book of Jonah. It's a story that probably is familiar to everyone here, I'm going to guess, because even if you're not a regular attender at a church, the story of Jonah and the whale is something that um, permeates even popular culture. You, you've, even, if, you, if you grew up, In America, you've probably heard this story at some point. We're going to read from the first chapter, and so you're welcome to look on the screen behind me, or you'll find it printed in your bulletin, or you may have even brought a Bible, and you're welcome to read it in that also. It's a little longer than average, but um, it's an awesome story. I'll use this mic this morning so I don't have to yell. Jonah chapter 1, we're going to start with verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare, and he went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise! Call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give us a thought that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, which basically means let us roll some dice. And let's try to figure out Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this you have done? For the men knew he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. And he said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as you pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and they hurled him into the sea and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. I've got a little... GIF for you. And I don't, I don't want to get into the debate whether it's a GIF or a GIF. This is called quop. You guys ever played quop? It's very difficult. Oh, and you're done. Okay. The reason I have this GIF up here this morning is because I want, to, I want to show to you what it feels like to run in a dream. You guys ever run in a dream before? Anybody? You can switch off the gif. It'll, it'll distract us all, including myself, this morning. I remember when I was in middle school, and I had a dream. And um, it, was easy, it was the middle of the night. I'm not sure what time it was, but I was being chased down my street. Not the street that I currently lived on, the one I'd grown up on. And I was being chased by a man with a knife. Well, let's be more accurate. He had a lot of knives. In fact, his fingers were knives. He was something along the lines of Freddy Krueger. If you've ever seen the Friday the 13th movies, I hadn't seen those movies. But there was a man with knives chasing me down the middle of the street. And, and just like Quap, which you saw behind me, uh, it's, a, it's a game on your computer. For some reason, when you dream, your legs are jelly or lead, Those are the only two options. You know what I'm talking about? You're trying to run from this great evil, this great thing that's coming after you, and you simply cannot get your legs to work properly. I don't know a psychologist could explain to you why that occurs in a dream, but this morning I'm just here to state the fact. And the reason I'm here to state the fact is I want to try to get across to you a little bit of the futility of running from God. That is a big part of chapter 1 here of Jonah. It is this this lead legs, shall we say, of trying to escape from the presence of God. I want to talk this morning uh, about a few things uh, about what it means to try to run from God. And I want to do it in the context of light. Because one of the things the Bible talks about from very early on, including Genesis, is that God is light. Light. And he brings light and life to all of us. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And one of the other things that Jesus talked about was the fact that when a person loves darkness, they will run from the light. And I think that's precisely what we find here this morning in the story about Jonah. I want to explain it to you in three different ways. If you have you're a bulletin in front of you, or if you are a note taker and you like to take some notes, it's right here. We're going to talk first about the exposure to the light. Then we're going to talk about running from the light. And then we're going to talk about falling into the dark, falling into the abyss. The story of Jonah is for good people. It's for successful people. It's for the achievers. It's for the clean. It's for the pretty. It's for the hard-working and the go-getters, the people who know how to get things done, who know how to hustle. It's for people who have made it through the hard times with grit and determination. This, this book of Jonah is for people who can keep it all together even when the outlook is grim. It's for the overcomers. It's for the American icons. It's for the underdogs. It's for the dreamers who made it a reality. This is a story for anyone who has a shred of pride and their ability to get it done. This story is for the self-sufficient, the ones who stayed off the street or kept their job or stayed clean. That's who the story of Jonah is for. Now, I don't know if you put yourself into that category or not, but regardless, that's what this book is for And what God does, Jonah was a prophet. It's the only thing we know about him. We don't know his background. We don't know where he grew up. We don't know what his background was like. We don't know if he was hurt by people. But we do know this much, he was a prophet. Which means he had his junk together. You could not, at least at this time, which is about 600 B.C., you had no possible way of becoming a prophet unless you knew how to achieve You had to memorize entire swaths of the Bible. You were someone who was actually picked or chosen for this task. You were brought up in the right way, going to the right schools, having the correct pedigree. And Jonah knew this, and he loved it. We know that much. He loved it. He loved his pedigree. He loved where he was from. He loved how he had been groomed, and he especially loved his race. All of those things. He clung to them. He was an achiever. He was self-sufficient. And God comes to him with a call. God says, all right, I've got a task for you, Jonah. Are you ready? I would hope so. <laughs> He's trained his whole life for this call, hasn't he? He's a prophet. That's his entire job. That's his role. That's his, that's his slot in life. And God comes to him and he says, all right, it's time. It's time. Prophesy. Here's what I want you to do, Jonah. I want you to go to the city of Nineveh, which is obviously, as we see from our story, not where he was thinking he was going to go. Right? He thought he would probably go to his own people and he would preach a message of fluff. But he's like, this, this city, this great city, and it was a large city at the time. This was a very large metropolitan area. He's like, I want you to go into the city of Nineveh and I want you to preach. Uh, Their evil has come up uh, for me and I want you to preach against their evil. So head on out. Um, Jonah is exposed in this moment. Do you see it in the passage? Jonah's exposed to the light. And what do I mean by that? Let's look at a few more Old Testament examples. Okay, you've got Moses. Do you remember Moses? He's an Old Testament character. In the book of Genesis, God calls him also. And he says, I want you, Moses, I want you to go back to the people, your people, in Egypt, and I want you to bring them out for me. I want you to do this um, as my call upon your life. And so Moses is what, if you've read the story, he says what to God? He says, I can't do that. He runs, just like Jonah. He says, I have a lisp. (laughs) You want me to be... God, let's get this clear, says Moses. You want me to be a public speaker who draws out these this huge, I mean, it was hundreds of thousands of people. And you want me to go to Pharaoh and you want me to speak to Pharaoh and I have a lisp. There's no way it's going to happen. Not only that, I've murdered someone back in Egypt. Why would you possibly send me back there? He's exposed with the call. That's what happens often with the call of God. There's an exposure that God is doing. We see it also in the life of Abraham. We studied Abraham as we looked at Genesis in this passage. And Abraham is called to sacrifice his own son. Many have called this a crazy story in the Bible. This is a weird one. It doesn't make any sense. See, God must be evil. God must, must, must hate his own people. He calls one of his children to to kill his son. Of course, that's not what happens. But what is God doing? God is sending a call to Abraham to expose him. Abraham, do you love your son more than me? Do you love something more than me? Is there something that is keeping you from my light, from my very presence? Jesus does this with a lot of people in his interactions in the New Testament. He comes up to the the cripple, who's before this this man who had been crippled for 38 years. He'd been laying on a mat near this pool of Siloam and Jesus comes up to him and he says, do you want to be healed? Easily the silliest question that's ever been asked in the history of mankind. But Jesus is calling him towards something and in that call he's exposing him. He's saying, do you really want to be healed? Do you want to come near the light? Do you want to come to the light? Jesus does this with the rich young ruler also. There's this man that comes to him. He's very rich, very popular, very popular, He's probably a mayor or a governor or something like that. And Jesus says to him, do you want to come follow me? And the man says, yes. I have obeyed the commandments. I have prepped for this. Let's do it, Jesus. And Jesus says, okay, here's my call. I want you to sell everything, all that you have. And what does the guy do? He runs the other direction. The call of Jesus, and you see it right here, especially with Jonah, the call of God on a person's life is an exposure. Have you ever been called to something? Has God ever sent you on a journey? There is an exposure that will occur because when God sends us on a journey, when He says, Go to something or someone to help, to, to prophesy, whatever it might be, it's also an exposure of what I would call our idols immediately when the call of God comes upon the life of Jonah, it exposes his idol. What's Jonah's idol? What's the thing that Jonah is really worshiping? His pedigree, his race. He, you, you learn about this in chapter 4 of Jonah, and I'm jumping ahead of myself a little bit, I admit it. But what we're going to see when we get to chapter 4 is that Jonah is not afraid of being embarrassed by going to the city of Nineveh. He's not afraid of being mocked, which he will be, He's not afraid of all of the, the flogging and the ridicule that might happen because he's prophesying against the evil of Nineveh. What he's truly afraid of is this. He says it. He says, I'm a see God? See what happened? They turned and they repented, and you had compassion on them and you loved them. And that I cannot have that occur. Strange, isn't it? Strange. Why, why would Jonah be afraid of or Why would Jonah reject the idea that God would have compassion upon the Ninevites? Uh, Here's why. Again, I'm giving you a preview of what's going to be coming in this book. If the Ninevites turn and repent and come to the light of God, it means that what he's been trusting on, trusting in for his life, it means that it crumbles before him. He has been holding up to God his goodness in his training as a prophet and his goodness and his race of being a Hebrew. And he's saying, God, these are the things that make me special. And if the Ninevites, if they get saved, if you have compassion on them, then I lose what I'm leaning on for my life, God. I lose it. And so what is his response? And this is number two in our our, um, sermon notes. God draws near to God with the searchlight of his call. And there are basically two responses that anyone, including Jonah or us, can have to the searchlight of God's call. We can lean into it or we can run. Those are the basic two options. Um, In the story of Abraham, you're going to see someone in Genesis, you see someone who leans into it. God says, Abraham, I want you to take your son, the son that you love, and I want you to sacrifice him, which is a huge deal. And Abraham leans into God. He says, Will not the God of all do right? He trusts in God and he follows through on God's call for him. Now, God, of course, rescues in that passage. He does not allow him to kill his own son, he provides a sacrifice of his own, which points towards Jesus. But the other option for anyone, for Jonah, for us, is to run in the opposite direction, to run from the light. You know, I was trying to think how to picture this in my head this week. I was like, what are, what are the things I look to? What are, what are the, the idols or the, the things I look to for happiness or to get me through the tough parts of life? And I was like, really, you can construct almost anything outside of God to try to get you through the hard stuff of life. A career, a child, children parents, um, a substance, food, drugs, alcohol, you name it. Um, We all find things that we decide, usually early in life, are going to be what carry us through the troubles of life. We, We pick something. I don't know what yours is, what the thing you picked is. But... As God's call moves into your life, it will begin to expose those things, the things you look to when trouble hits, right? Um, if you want to know what yours is, if you want to just get a clue into what your the thing that God's call exposes in your own life, usually check your where you get angry. Where do you get angry? That's usually the spot. It's like God's little dashboard light like, of saying that's the place where you are looking to something outside of God for your okayness, for your goodness, for your righteousness. That's how we operate as human beings. You had a bad day, I gotta shop it off, right? You had a bad day, I've gotta drink it off. I gotta eat it off. I mean, you name it. We we all pick something. That we look to. Or, if you're in the case of Jonah, he picked his, his race. He picked his class. He picked his pedigree. And he said, that's the thing I'm going to look to when trouble hits in my life. It's going to get me through. So God comes after him in that very area. And God says, I have got a, a higher calling. My light is the thing that's going to come into your life. Y'all, let's look at his foot race. Let's, let's, let's explore it. As we explore our own foot race. Now, I don't know where each of y'all are at today in your own relationship with God or non-relationship with God. But I do know this. I do know because of what Scripture teaches, God pursues every single one of us. It's part of that song that we read. That he will bring his light into all of our life. And that the key is that he wants to be near us. He wants to be near us. But when he draws near to a human being, it always exposes what that person is looking to outside of God for their okayness, for their enoughness. I will be okay, I will be enough if I have <clears throat> XYZ in my life. Here's how it plays out for Jonah. He runs from God because he does not want to be exposed. He is deathly afraid of finding out what really he's leaning into for his hope, for his okayness, for his enoughness. He gets on a boat that's headed in the opposite direction of the place God calls him to. Nineveh's over here. If you looked at a map, I don't have one with me. Nineveh's over here. Tarshish is over here. So he goes that way, the opposite direction from Nineveh. And he's like, I think I can get away from God. He's sleeping down in the bottom of the boat, and the light eventually catches up with him. The captain comes down where he's sleeping. Right, he's taking it easy. This is how it works. Um, when we found something besides God to be the happiness and satisfaction of our life, it's not something that ruins our life immediately. Rarely, rarely does it ruin our life immediately. It's a slow process of drifting and fading away from God. And that's what's happening here in our story. He's asleep. He's taking it easy. He's down in the bottom of the boat. But the captain comes in, and here's how it plays out, y'all. He says, "Get up. Wake up. You you've got to face this. You've got to face the fact that you've brought a storm into all of our lives." This happens. To us, even as human beings, we we bring our family into the storm, we bring our friends into the storm, we bring our neighbors into the storm, and y'all, they begin to ask questions. Is anyone asking you questions about the storms in your life? Anyone? Is anyone asking you why you are hiding something? It could be the captain. It could be. Is there anyone who has noticed something about the patterns in your life that you don't want them to notice? This is how it it happens for Jonah. This is often how it happens for us. We get caught out by the people around us. And y'all, the people around us, if they love us, just like these men on this boat, right? They don't even know Jonah. He just paid the fare to ride on this boat. But they're like, look, we really don't want to throw you into the ocean. Like, they were kind people. They were like, you brought something onto this boat. You, you've, you are, it's obvious you're running from God. There's a storm around you that you are sucking people up into like a hurricane in your life. And we love you. We don't want this to make you go down. That makes sense, right? The people around you, they're like, you let's help you and so they're like guys everyone roast super hard for land. like let's not let's not throw this guy into the ocean and so they're although the problem is that the storm it says became more and more tempestuous it's kind of like the hurricane that's about to pound florida south carolina north carolina let's pray for those folks but it gets worse and they realize there's no way we're rowing to land. There's only one option. We've got to throw Jonah overboard. I called this point, this is our final point, we're wrapping up with this. I called it falling into the dark. The weird thing about the story of Jonah, about the story of our lives, is that um, for some Strange reason. And y'all, I don't have an explanation for you this morning. God uses the darkness. There's a sweet mercy to the darkness. You're going to see it next week as we dive into chapter 2. You're going to see the sweet mercy of God as Jonah gets thrown into this darkness. Um... Everyone fears this place, this idea of being thrown into the ocean, right? The ocean in the Old Testament, well, in the New Testament also, it represented the chaos of, of being alone. It represented de- the depression of being alone. It represents death, really, ultimately. It's often painted that way in the Old Testament. But everything is stripped away in the belly of darkness. Um, there, there's an inability for Jonah to call out and say, Hey, everyone, look how special I am. I went to the right schools. I'm a prophet. And not only am I a prophet, I'm a Hebrew. I was born into the right family. I have got the right sized bank account. I have got the right education. No one, how many people are hearing Jonah as he yells that out in the abyss? Zero. Zero. The abyss is a place where we face not only ourselves, but we face God. It's called being alone in the dark. Why three days and three nights? We're going to get into that. But ultimately for Jonah, the three days and three nights are a representation of reflection. Jonah is deathly afraid of the people of Nineveh turning from their evil and turning to God. Why? Why is he so afraid of that? Because they owe, right? They need to pay. They owe a debt to society. They owe a debt to him. They owe a debt to the Hebrews. They do, they owe a debt to God and they need to pay. What, what Jonah really wants is he wants to show up in Nineveh and be like, look, Y'all are gonna die. You deserve it. You're dirty pagans. <laughs> I don't want anything to do with you. And I hope the rock comes down and smushes you. Because you owe. You've been you've been you've been rejecting the God of the universe. You've been rejecting love. You guys are torturing each other. It's the most divisive place he could possibly imagine, right? You owe. But here he but here's what here's what's happening. He's now in the belly of the darkness. He has three days and three nights to reflect. And guess what he's going to reflect on? What he owes. Right? The belly of the darkness is a place to come face to face with our own insufficiency And the insufficiency of the idol we've been leaning into for our enoughness, our okayness. It's not enough. That's the message of Jonah. You are insufficient, and what you look to for your enoughness, for your okayness, for your righteousness outside of God is also insufficient. Insufficient for what? For the payment. For the payment. In the belly of the darkness, Jonah gets to reflect on every single person he's ever hurt in his life. And he gets to reflect on the fact of how much he's hurt God, of how much he's actually most of the time rejected God in in his life. It's a dark place. And so we conclude. You know... Nobody likes to, um, I don't, likes to be in the darkness, right? Likes to be in what I, I'm calling for this passage, the belly of the darkness. To face ourselves, to face our life with the filters taken away. Um, I often suggest people, um, it, because I've experienced myself, I often suggest people go see a counselor, right? This is, this is sort of our modern day version of like, facing the belly of the whale. Hey, you should go. I I tell um, anyone who will listen, hey, you should go see a counselor because they're going to dig into every part of your life you never have wanted to talk about. And I've never, y'all hear me out, I've never had someone say to me, great idea, Nathan. Let's do it. Of course not, right? Um, The last thing I want is someone probing my heart with a flashlight. Here's the, here's the weirdness of this story. Here's the weirdness of our lives. We run from the light. The light exposes us and we run. But here's the question we have to end with. What exactly are we running from? Are we running from a God who's looking to burn and scald us? Is He going to fry us? Sometimes we think so. We believe the lies of the world, the lies of evil, of Satan. But the account of the Bible, really, if you read it, it's so different than that. The message of Scripture over and over and over is this. You are lovable and you are loved. Over and over. That's the light. Right? that's, That's what Scripture teaches. You are lovable, you're loved come back into the sunshine is constantly the refrain of scripture as god pursues us the beauty and the joy and the grace of god are there why y'all think about it for a minute think about it for yourself why do we run from this why do we run from that i don't i cannot speak for all of y'all i can speak for myself i often run from it i feel like i love sometimes my idols more than god I love the money, the sex, the power, the control, the numbing effects of sin. I try to do life on my own terms with my own solutions and the result is misery. I looked it up in Webster because I was like, let's figure out what this word misery means. It just seems like the right word to capture the feeling that I'm talking about. Um, Number one, Webster, a state of suffering and want that is the result of poverty or affliction. That's what it's that's the end result of running from God. A circumstance thing or place that causes suffering or discomfort, a state of great unhappiness and emotional distress. My encouragement this morning from Jonah to y'all, from God's word to y'all. Go to the light. Turn around. This is what Jesus He uses this word, repentance. You may have heard it. It's a churchy word. All it means is turn around. Stop running away. That's all it means. Go to God, not from God. This source of light, of grace, is the love that your heart truly longs for. And so I conclude with Jesus. Jesus came to rescue us from a life of misery. He came to rescue us from a life apart from God. He was in the belly of the earth for three days and three nights, not so that he could reflect upon the debt he owed, so that he could pay the debt we owe. That's why Jesus was in the belly of the earth three days and three nights, so that he could pay the debt that we owe so that we could be free, so that our debt would be gone. He brings us to the light, wraps us in the light, and puts the light into us. John chapter 3, starting with verse 16. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. Y'all catch this, verse 19. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may clearly be seen that his works have been carried out in God. Jesus made the way for us to come back to the light. He paid the debt that we might run back to God as He runs to us. May you be encouraged this week as you reflect upon the fact that Jesus has made a way for you to return to the light of God. Let's pray. Lord, I want to be the first to admit here that I... I look for ways to run away from you, God. I I have found so many things in my life that need exposure, Lord, that it's sometimes difficult to even imagine that you want to be near me. And yet, your scripture goes so far beyond that, Lord. Not only do you want to be near us, Lord, you're the one that chases us, that pursues us, that finds us, that redeems us. Lord, I pray for anyone here this morning, Lord. I pray that today would mark the day, September 1st, 2019. Lord, that they would turn back to you, turn away from the thing they know is pulling them away from your love, is yanking them away from your goodness, Lord is causing us to run away from You. Lord, remove it today by the power of Your grace that Your light may come and shine brighter than ever. Lord, we are in awe of the fact that Your light never gives up on pursuing us. That You... Never stop coming after us. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for the story of Jonah. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.